the meme. Chase that dream, not the meme. Chase that dream, not the meme. Welcome to Dreams Not Memes Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is another episode of Dreams Not Memes. My name is Julia Flores, and I am your host today. And today, I am here with my friend, host of Dreams Not Memes podcast, Brian Walker. Hey, Brian. How's it going? I'm doing well. And yourself? Great. So, Brian is, he is a renaissance man. He is a scholar. He has his master's degree. He is a musician. He's a poet, an accomplished writer, an activist a friend, a yogi, and just an overall badass. So Brian's been interviewing. His goal is to interview a 1,000 people on the Dreams Not Memes podcast. So today, as one of his oldest friends, I thought that it would be fun to flip the switch and so everybody can hear about Brian as he's been asking everybody about themselves. Well, I'm very thankful. You know, um, believe it or not, I didn't think to do this format, like, you know, like get interviewed, like people have interviewed me in the past, whether it be through my music, whether it be a job interview (laughs) or uh, whether it be through my poetry and things like that. But I never thought like to have someone interview me. And I just want to make it clear that you came up with this idea and I accepted it. So I just (laughs) want to say thank you for for doing this because this is this is cool and it's fun. Anytime. So we can first get started. Tell us about you as Brian Walker. Tell us about your journey. Certainly, certainly. So, um, you know, I am a person of many hats and it's not the, and the reason why I'm a person of many hats is not so much of a, uh, you know, jack of all trades, master of none uh, sort of philosophy. It's really because I have a lot of interests and some of those interests came out of survival and some of those interests came out of the fact that I wanted to like close a gap that I saw like in society. So let's just first start with like the podcast and then I'll talk about my other endeavors. So I started this podcast because, you know, as a musician, um, I believe in inspiring other people to rise above their own adversity through your own story, uh, through or through your own craft or skill. And, you know, I wrote music from a place of struggle, from a place of hurt, from a place of understanding, from a place of love, from a place of connection. And I thought I've been able to connect with people in so many different ways through this music, but it's always been through my lens. And you know, you can't navigate life only seeing your lens. What about other people's lenses? What about other people's perspectives? So at one end I was like, well, what if I wrote a podcast? I mean, I wrote an album about other people in, in my life. I was like, well, you'd be writing for forever, right? I was like, well, what about not writing or making music about other people, but learning from other people through a podcast? Like, that's a great creative medium. So, you know, I, I, I that thought was in the back of my head. Then my friend uh, Brandon Bauer, him and I were on tour, like, in New England, and we were on our way to Maine. And, like, we get coffee, and he's like, bro, you start a podcast. And like, you know, I was thinking about other people and, and, and the podcast. And at first I laughed. I was like, Haha, I'm not starting a podcast. Like podcasts are too formal. Have you listened to NPR? And, you know, if NPR ever picks me up, I, I might diss them and thank them at the same time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, uh, Who 
Duchess's NPR. Yeah, because they're so curated. <laughs> it's like so clean. And I'm just like, come on. We all eat sandwiches. Anyways. So, um, I was like, if I'm going to make a podcast, I have to laugh. Like, laughing has to be okay. Like, we have to just feel like we're having everyday dinner table, lunch uh, table conversations. So I thought about what if I interviewed the people that have helped me in my life? What about if I interviewed the people that have been influential to me in my life about their story and why they do what they do? Because people do know what I do and why I do what I do. So I, I thought of the idea of Dreams Not Memes. And Dreams Not Memes came from a rant that I had with a friend um, where I was telling her, shout out to Marceline, you know, Gen Z, they care too much about memes. What about your dreams? Like, we have to really focus on our dreams instead of memes as distractions. But don't get me wrong, I like memes. Memes are funny. But that's, like, where the idea came from. And then that that podcast has matured a lot, and it's still growing. Because at first it was, I'm just interviewing my friends. I'm just interviewing people I wrote music with. Then it turned to, um, how about I interview local business owners and activists that I've heard of or know. Then it turned to, let me interview people that I met on tour. Then it turned to, let me interview old college friends. And then, next thing you know, I was like, I'm going to set little small goals to lead to bigger goals. So, like, those were the, the smaller goals. Like, just your friends, people you meet on tour, local business owners. Then it was like, let me interview at least one person from all the U.S. Completed that goal. And then I was like, how about I do a thousand interviews uh, across the whole world? of all 194 countries because I wanted to be representative. I wanted to be inclusive. So that's how I started the podcast. So the big question now is probably like, what does that have to relate to all my other goals and who I am? I started a day without love um, in 2013, like officially, like it was a concept mm -hmm. before, like I would play music as that and things like that, but I never really took it seriously. It was just like play house shows, but I started it because, you know, I was homeless. I was homeless and going to grad school and interning uh, in 2013, couch surfing, sleeping on uh, couches, I mean, sleeping on couches, sleeping on benches and things like that, because my apartment wasn't livable. And I was kicked out of my apartment. And um, I kind of felt like no one cared. Like, there was nothing that could be done to me. But at the same time, it, it, I just felt like kind of like an outcast. Like, yeah, I could call friends and friends were there for me, but they couldn't do anything with, for me because of the conditions of Sandy. So... I tapped into the idea of Day Without Love as a way for me to write about human struggle, but also say that, like, your struggle doesn't have to define you. Um, so for the past eight years, I've just been writing songs about the human condition and working with activist organizations, organizing and leading and, and making the, my catalog about a basis of fighting the fight of being alive um, and seeing the light instead of the dark. And uh, the name, so that's how the project started. The name mm -hmm. of Day Without Love started back in uh, 2008 when I was writing a poetry book. Uh, and the poetry book was called 365 of Being Alive. And sometime around September of my sophomore year at college before I transferred to Penn State, um, I saw a man punching a woman, like, really aggressively. And um, I, you know, looked out ran out of my dorm room, pulled the man off, and I was like, dude, what are you doing? And they were arguing and explaining why they got in the fight in the first place. For you know it, someone else called the cops, and there's handcuffs around the dude. Um, and the cops said, you did a good thing by stopping this. 
girl got carried to the hospital for all of her injuries and um i found out through the grapevine that the dude went to jail for good girl was transferring schools and i was stopping domestic abuse and i called the poem a day wow. of um because what was going on between the two people is they cheated on each other they'd been gone through uh on and off battles of abusive fights verbally emotionally and physically um and i thought to myself what happens to a person when they stop feeling love do they like lose their own sense of identity and i wrote a poem about that and you know when i was homeless i wanted to bring of that same feeling of feeling isolated and, and hurt by like, you know, systemic oppression, because I'm also a survivor of, of abuse. And, you know, I've had some pretty bad, you know, dating situations that, you know, I, I wasn't so much like attacked, but, you know, actions happened to me where like my consent was violated. So I, I wanted to write about that struggle as a coping mechanism for myself and also to provide like a space of like, reflection for people creatively speaking so that's, mm -hmm. that's that's um a lot about why a day without love is a day without love and what that's about quick message thank you for listening to today's episode of dreams.memes please make sure to follow dreams.memes podcast on your preferred streaming channel or on instagram at dreams.memes podcast to support Dreams Not Needs podcast, feel free to contact me at daywithoutlove at gmail.com for advertising or sponsorship opportunities. Now, let's get back to the show. Man, it has been so inspiring just to see you, despite everything, just keep going, keep pushing through. I mean, even through your darkest days, here you are, you're doing better than ever, you're following your dreams. Even in college, you were inspiring people because you founded the Songwriters Club. And so a lot of musicians and people found a space that they were supported, found like-minded people, found that community that they could really be themselves in and really find themselves through the cathartic method of writing, writing music, poetry. So what keeps you motivated and what is the thing that just keeps you keeps your drive so strong? So internally speaking, I would definitely say as the ability to apply what you know to change the world that you see. Because I could definitely say everything that I've ever done in my life, I did it because I saw there was a knowledge gap or I saw an opportunity to, you know, make things better. Um, that's like my consultant brain uh, talking. So like when I started the Penn State Songwriters Club, that club was based on community collaboration um, and creativity, like community, you know, helping nonprofits local to the campus and off campus, collaboration, having other musicians like work with each other and creativity, inspiring the fact that you can be an original musician instead of a cover musician. Because I noticed like when I transferred to Penn State, it was a covers town. Everybody was singing like, you know, Journey songs and Bon Jovi songs and, and Bob Dylan songs and like no shade on that. But it's like in a school of 50,000 kids, there's got to be somebody with a story. Right. And coming from Philadelphia, where like I went to open mics once a week and met a lot of original songwriters, like collaborating and teaching each other different ways of singing songs and writing music. I wanted to bring that same hometown feeling to, to State College. 
So like, I always think, how can I, as a person, as an advocate, as a human being, as a, as a marginalized person, bring my experiences to other people's experiences and also make it better and learn from each other? Because like, yeah, I started the club and the club lasted for about 10 years. Um, I knew that that club was something that people needed, a place where they can feel comfortable to share their thoughts, whether that means later on becoming, you know, a gigging musician or a recording musician or just playing open mics like for for days a week. So when I think about my endeavors, like songwriters club, playing music, wanting to eventually own my own executive coaching firm, I just think about what is it that I can do uh, with my knowledge and skill set to make things just a little bit better so that people can, can tap into their own potential. And that's what like internally inspires me. Externally, I really would say it was my grandfather that inspired me a lot. I mean, he, he's um, no longer with us, but we didn't have the healthiest relationship, but I was inspired by his life story because like this is a man who went to Morehouse University at the age of 15, graduated at 19, uh, with a degree in mathematics, um, then grew up on a farm, got chased by the KKK, you know, uh, was made fun of because of the fact that he was mixed, you know, um, Native American, Irish, and then moved to Philadelphia, met my grandma, and started a family. So he literally, and grew up in a tin roof in North Carolina, then moved to the city, then, you know, moved to the suburbs and worked his way up to being the chief of L&I, License and Inspections of the City of Philadelphia. So, like, seeing that as, like, my father figure, since my parents weren't there for me, really inspired me to, like, rise above. Because, like, this man went from the tin roof to a brick house. What could I do for myself? You know what I mean? Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. So, it's inside of you his drive and his inspiration oh yeah i could definitely say that because i mean on a negative side what motivates me and i'm laughing at this is like a lot of the trauma that i saw like growing up or just like really crazy things like my 10th birthday a drug dealer across the street had a pipe bomb put in his car and it blew up and i saw him like get arrested and all this stuff seeing that as a kid was like that is not the way to live and like I think uh, there's a, a movie called Boys in the Hood from the 90s where, like, every time something bad happens, there's, like, a an interlude that goes, message, and then, like, Keenan Williams goes, like, this is what you don't do, black kids. Like, you know, I saw a lot of, like, the wrong way to live growing up, mm-hmm. so I've always been motivated to do the right thing instead of the wrong thing, so I don't become a product of my environment. Wow. And I can't imagine that being easy at all. No, especially if you're, yeah, if you're around that all the time, it's hard to go against the grain. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, what was it like growing up in Philadelphia? As most of you probably don't know, um, I'm from Central Pennsylvania, and I'm from a small city. And Brian and I both went to Penn State together. So, yeah, what was it like growing up in a city? It was uh, weird and wild because, like, the neighborhood I grew up in wasn't the safest, but it wasn't the most dangerous. Do you get what I'm saying? So, Mm -hmm. true Philadelphians would say, oh, you definitely lived in, like, the suburbs of Philadelphia. But no, it was definitely Philadelphia. I grew up in the Wadsworth Mountain area part of Philly. 
And the thing is, like, in terms of socioeconomic status, we were, like, lower middle class to middle class. So it wasn't the worst of situations, but it wasn't the best of situations. But with that being said, I grew up in the public school system, then transferred to the Catholic school system. And I think that's when I started becoming more aware of my identity on all fronts, from race to, like, socioeconomic status. Because I went to a school where half the kids like lived in the suburbs, had really huge houses in Chestnut Hill and Society Hill and things like that. And the other half of the kids were scholarship kids. And the first time I remember like knowing and learning that I was different was when kids bullied me and said that they had the Brian Walker touch if they touched me. And to this day, I don't know if that was like a racial thing. And then a year later, they put me in a speech therapy because they said uh, the way that I talked was too urban. Um, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was quite the culture clash. And that was just because I had a North Philadelphia accent. So keep in mind, that's my school life. Now, you know, I got bullied. I was told systematically that I was like smart, but I talked funny. And then uh, at my home life, my grandparents were my grandparents. They raised me well. Uh, my biological mother left, who has cerebral palsy. Um, and she left to marry someone else and have my brother. So that was a whole other difficult situation. Kids on the street bullied me because I was smart. So then I had to fight back. And then at church, I just was like quiet Christian kid up until like 11, 12, because I became a junior deacon. But throughout all that life, I felt like I always had to switch gears because it's like Brian and church. Oh, yeah. And then my family who lives in like a dangerous part of the city and like, you know, my family that lives in Philly, it's like all different walks of life and it's all extreme because like I have family members that are drug dealers, I have family members that are rappers, I have fit, like, you know, so it's just like I felt growing up, I was always switching gears because I was trying to fit in because mm -hmm. I didn't know who I was and that was like really hard to, to actually do. Um, and I, I could definitely honestly say it wasn't until college where I started to think it doesn't matter where you fit in. It just matters how you fit in with yourself. But yeah, growing up in Philly wasn't, it wasn't easy, but um, it, it was a lot of adjusting. Yeah. Would you say that your experience of feeling like an outcast contributed to your desire now to create like communities and help those people that are on the fringes feel accepted into somewhere? 100%. Yeah, I, I definitely think like my desire to, to help other people feel accepted. It comes from a lot of places because later on, I did find places of comfort and acceptance in my life. Like I found martial arts and you know, I became a martial arts teacher. And that was before I started playing music. I became a junior deacon. Um, I joined an activist organization in high school. And we did a, like a lot of, you know, organizing as a kid. Um, I found music friends. So I found that, but it didn't take away from the fact that I was still bullied. There were still parts of my life where I felt like an outcast. Um, I think a lot of those experiences translate to me empathizing with others and me wanting for other people to fit in. And, and that's not like my way of saying like, all right, I'm doing this podcast. I'm doing this music. I'm writing these books, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I'm, I'm pursuing my professional career. Because I still don't feel like I feel in, but it's more like I know how that feels 
and a lot of us feel that way to some degree. So how can I use my knowledge, skills, and abilities and experiences to help other people recognize that in a world of 8 billion people, you got to find your own roof. Um, you got to find your own home. And what I mean by that is uh, you got to find your niche and put keep your ear to ground to find people that are feeling the same way that you feel, are creating the same way that you feel. Um, because if you don't, you might live feeling unfulfilled. And I, I remember feeling that way. So you've mentioned in addition to that, that, you know, you've been active in nonprofits and other community projects. So what are some of those that you've done? <laughs> so I've done a lot. I mean, honestly, I probably should write a resume of all the projects I've worked on. So I'm just going to say like recently, some projects I've been a part of is uh, Musicians for Bernie uh, with my friend Christine. And Christine is a musician uh, based in Iowa. We met on tour. And Christine is a big advocate for healthcare for creative uh, gig, uh, for the creative gig economy. So, mm -hmm. um, and they were also working for Bernie at the time. So like during quarantine, we worked on like throwing shows um, to raise money and talk about the importance of healthcare for the creative gig economy. So that doesn't just mean musicians, that's photographers, that's, you know, graphic designers, bookers, the whole nine. Um, I also was an affiliate member of Coping with Dystopia, where every week we helped organize, um, you know, a show to fundraise for different organizations, whether that means uh, women in recovery, uh, you know, people in, you know, drug addiction or, or alcohol addiction and recovery, um, the people in Texas that, you know, needed recovery and things like that. Uh, in my mm -hmm. college days, I definitely remember throwing concerts and, and meetups for, for Haiti, for Japan, because those were countries that were affected. Um, I also once tried to start a nonprofit organization called The Quarterly uh, in Philadelphia, where and I even had interns. It was really ambitious, extremely ambitious, uh, where on a seasonal basis, I got small businesses, musicians and artists to meet up bazaar style. And everyone would sell their products and promote themselves. And, you know, 30% of the profits made were given to uh, Rock of the Future, which is a music organization that dedicates uh, funding and music education resources to kids that don't have those resources at school, uh, that can't afford it. So, I mean, I definitely have been part of or tried to start a lot of projects where I tie my creativity to helping those that are in need because I, I definitely think America has like a a big resource uh, equity problem. Yeah, especially whenever it comes to arts and music, that's always even in the public school system, in school systems in general, always the first thing to lose the funding. But it's so important for community and just for us to release creatively in a different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely missing a lot of organizations I've helped, but that's like the general idea of what I've, what I've done. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your dream to open up your own executive coaching firm? Yeah, certainly. So, um, you know, I've worked and I should have said goal, not dream, because I know you're going to make it a reality. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so when I was in college, let, let's take this back to college. So when I was in college, 
I first started school uh, at Lehigh University with um, pursuing a degree in biopharmaceutical engineering. And my first semester uh, was terrible, and, and that's because of emotional issues. Um, you know, I, I tried to take my own life. I had to take a semester off uh, for, for mental health uh, therapy, and then the, the semester before that, I did a pre-semester, I, I did really well. Then, got back, did really well my, my semester back, and I was in therapy, um, and also developed a really bad drinking habit. But I, I kind of saw the light. I did not like biopharmaceutical engineering despite doing well. Um, so I said, I want to talk to people. I don't want to fill like, you know, bacteria and vials for a living. Like, cause <laughs> the, the, the pursuit was to, you know, find a cure for incurable diseases, specifically AIDS, because I lost a close uh, friend, uh, family member. My friend's father died of AIDS, you know, so that was where that, that came from. Then after realizing, like, despite that noble intention, I did not like biopharmaceutical engineering. I took psychology and economics in a summer semester, and I said, you know, I like human behavior. I like business. I like numbers. I like analysis. I like asking why do people act the way that they do. So I had a meeting with a professor at the time. He said, you know, to be honest with you, I think... Lehigh might be the wrong school for you. Um, so I was like, okay. So I left Lehigh University um, and I went to uh, Penn State. I went to Penn State satellite campus because I didn't know if I wanted to live there because of my alcohol issue at the time. And um, I went to Penn State, pursued psychology and business, and I fell, fell more and more in love with it. And then when I finally transferred to Penn State, I found a little field called IO psychology, industrial organizational psychology, and also founded the Songwriters Club. And I learned more about organizational consultants, executive consultants, and things like that. Um, and then I published some research on gender differences and leadership and, and academic major differences in leadership. And I started presenting. And I met uh, Dr. Rick Jacobs, who is an executive coach, and talked to him about leadership coaching. And when I thought to myself, like, I'm a student leader, I'm a leader in the student organization, Society of Human Resources, I really like music, and this field of executive coaching doesn't have a, like an entertainment field. And the music industry, entertainment industry has like a lot of equity problems. How could I develop enough job experience where I could help creatives and entrepreneurs and small business owners be accountable for themselves and be their own boss? Not from a marketing and sales perspective, but from an organizational perspective so that they know that they are reaching their highest performance goals and their highest, um, you know, business goals. I, I asked myself that, and uh, that's what drove the idea of, like, I want to, like, develop an executive coaching firm where people go to me, go to my firm to know that they can do the next big thing and be the best that they can and, and operate at their biggest potential without being scammed because a, there's a lot of snake oil and there's a lot of fake news out there uh, in the creative economy. So that's, that's uh, how that idea came about. Well, well, I know that every time you put your mind to something, you achieve it. Well, and yeah, that's another thing I admire about you. And you obviously have shared with us how that just innate drive comes 
I think people just have, it's like an it factor. Like you have the drive to succeed or you don't. And some people can develop that over time, but there are some people that just have it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, um, I'm really glad that I stopped drinking because when I was drinking, I felt like I had the drive, but in a very mania, self-destructive way. Um, meaning like I would show up to meetings, whether it was professional or, you know, creative and I would glorify, I would, I would never say it vocally, but I, I would always glorify things like I'm hungover and I just killed that presentation. Like, you know, like I thought that was cool. Like that was the way to be successful. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and I blame that on nothing but myself. I mean, reading Bukowski too much might've had a, <laughs> had something to do with that, you know, or, or Edgar Allan Poe, poets like that. But, um, you know, taking away alcohol from my life and like actually facing myself and like getting real with myself really inspired me to recognize like, you know, you, you develop momentum before you were drinking, but now that you're not drinking and you don't have this vice anymore, you could take care of yourself. You can breathe, you can recover, you can, you know, balance work and life and, and creativity uh, and be a more productive and efficient member of society. And I think sometimes chasing your own dreams is is about like cutting the bonsai tree, growing the branches that are making you grow more and cutting the branches that are setting you back. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I'm a personal bonsai parent, so I love that analogy. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. Two bonsais. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's so true. I mean, you have to assess your life and it's hard. It's really hard to come face to face with yourself. But I think alcoholism is something that really resonates with people, especially now, especially after 2020, mm. because I've noticed a lot of people saying that their drinking habits got out of control during last year because of the stress and inability to cope with stress, which is completely understandable. So um, tell us, First of all, how many years have you been sober? And also, without alcohol, how do you best cope with stress? Certainly. Um, I've been without alcohol for six years and three months now. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's, been, it's been quite the time, to say the least. Uh, in terms of coping mechanisms, you know, I feel like I'm finding new coping mechanisms like every three months. And what I mean by that is like, if you ask me what my coping mechanisms, like, you know, early sobriety, the answer would have been, I drank a lot of Red Bull and a lot of caramel macchiatos. <laughs> <laughs> like to be completely honest with you, but you know, sugar is also a problem. Um, and I gained mm -hmm. a lot of weight from that. Like my first year of sobriety, I actually gained weight. Um, it was pretty bad. And then I just started tweaking bad behaviors one at a time. So it first started with like, no longer, like don't drink, you know, and, and keep in mind, pre-sobriety, I tried to be sober many times in my life and it didn't work because I relapsed, whether it was like due to a social distraction, depression, et cetera, et cetera. But it was one thing at a time. Like, so like rehab was my coping mechanism. Therapy was a coping mechanism. And then later on, the next coping mechanism was the gym. Um, then like you know it became poetry then it became learning and then like i developed a lot of positive behaviors 
and then it became almost like a toolkit because like that first year whatever the positive behavior was i latched on it and then after getting called out by a lot of peers like whatever you do you like get addicted to it i was like wait it's not just alcoholism i have an addictive behavior so now flash forward to six years i mean i would say uh some of my coping mechanisms include writing reaching out to a friend doing what i love i.e podcast writing music um, working out, yoga has become a very positive, uh, coping mechanism in my life. Um, and just understanding this, you never arrive, you only get better and you learn from people. And, and I think pre sobriety, I had this like weird delusion that I was going to be perfect one day. And then once I'm perfect, I've, like, achieved it all. I don't know if that came from watching too much anime. I don't know if that came from, like, you know, superhero movies as a kid. I, I don't, I can't tell you where that came from. But when I got real with myself and I said, you're never going to be perfect. You're only going to be better. I think my thirst for knowledge got better. And I started to become more patient with myself. Because when you... Strive, well, when I strived for perfection, I felt really anxious. Everything needed to be rushed. And now I'm kind of more of like, all right, this is an idea. Let's pursue it. Let's see what happens. What did I learn from it? On to the next idea. And that, that can mean music. That can mean exercising. Uh, it can mean anything. Because, you know... When you understand that we're all capable of unlimited potential, life can feel overwhelming, but when you take each lesson one one lesson at a time, it's pretty fun, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you, I really, really love that you said that you never arrived because I also can relate to perfectionism. And I think that whenever we think of our future goals, like for example, if somebody's saying, I want to lose weight, you mm -hmm. think that you become like this new person that you completely change. And then whenever you lose weight, that you're going to have all these positive characteristics, but it's, it's you now that's evolving into a better self. It's not like you're still, it's like a pyramid, like you are stacking on top of yourself. Like you don't change. You're still you, you just, evolve i mean you're like yeah. a caterpillar that turns into a butterfly but then the butterfly still learns to fly and there's still so much for that so i'm really glad that you said that because i think that's really important for people to know that you just have to be patient with yourself accept where you are and the key is accepting who you are now because that's still going to be you in the future no matter what you do exactly exactly like, and I love that you talked about weight loss and things like that. Like, I used to be so obsessed with my weight number. Uh, and I think it wasn't until I broke my ankle. Yeah, I broke my ankle on tour. So this is a whole story. Let's talk about that story first. Okay. So um, I have these two friends, uh, Francesca and Joe. They're great musicians, great people, um, independent business owners, writer, communication specialist, and a, and a videographer. We met because we were all signed to a record label 
live in the New England area, and we went on like approximately a week tour, and we were in Connecticut on our way to Boston, and I wanted to get a breakfast sandwich, and, and Francesca's like, hurry up, we're always ru we're already running late for uh, for Boston, so I canceled the order, run up to the car, and I tried to hop into the car parkour style, and I fell backwards and broke my ankle. It was really funny. It was completely my fault, right? So I passed out, <laughs> I passed out of the car because I got lightheaded. Parkour, parkour! <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> so I, I passed out in the car, and I wake up, and my ankle's like three times its size. I was like, holy shit. Oh. And then Francesca's like, you can stay in this car. We'll do the session. I was like, no, I'll watch you guys do the session. So I like hobbled up. A stranger even helped me get up there. And then Joe's like, dude, you should go to urgent care. So I hobbled back down, got an Uber to urgent care, got urgent care, got a boot. And I played a show with a broken ankle, like, you know, David Grohl style. But keep in mind, this whole time, I don't realize I have a broken ankle. So I, I made it through, hustled through, took a mega bus back to Philadelphia because they drove me out from Philly uh, with all my gear and everything with a broken ankle. And I remember for those four months, I think that was the beginning of a change in coping mechanisms, a change in physical goals and everything. Because prior to that, I was working out and I was chasing my goals, meaning that like, you know, I'm going to lose weight on the basis of, of a number. Like, it doesn't matter if I could bench more weight. It, it, I, I'm failing if my weight number is the same. And then when I started taking physical therapy and, you know learning how to walk again, I learned that it wasn't the number that mattered. It was the functionality of my body. So I'm more focused to this day since breaking my ankle, uh, since breaking my ankle on what sort of things can I do with my body and mind and relationship with myself to make me better. And for the record, since I broke my ankle, I've lost six pant sizes. So I've definitely, I've made more progress focusing on functionality than a weight number because that weight number just kept going back and forth like I to this day I can't tell you what my weight is I just can tell you that I'm probably gonna have to get new pairs of pants again for the third year in a row <laughs> this year, nice. you, know, you know what I mean it, yeah. it's like a cool thing and a very frustrating thing but I decided to focus on functionality because I realized, especially since starting yoga, there were so many things that I couldn't do. Like, I couldn't put my hands behind my back. I couldn't scratch my back because I was so obsessed with, like, weightlifting. Um, and, like, my weightlifting, I got a little obsessed with. So, like, now I'm just trying to balance between strength, flexibility, and just, without lack of a better word, being calm and centered. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and that's really important. I think that as we've talked about just breathing and finding your deep breath is what is the root of it all. And there's yeah. this quote, I don't know who said it, but it said life measured um, by the number of breaths that we take. Mm -hmm. So that just means to slow down and just, and I probably completely butchered that quote. I feel like there's more to it than what I just said, gotcha. but the idea behind it is just to be mindful, take deep breaths, because breathing really helps us to stay calm and centered and find a safe haven within ourselves. True. Very true. Very true. And I mean, I could definitely say 
that's shown a lot in my work. Um, and I would say that musically as well as uh, professionally. Like professionally, I used to send the longest emails to clients and to coworkers because I thought like, you know, it's got to be the biggest thing ever. Um, and now I'm thinking about, well, before I communicate in any instance, what's the outcome? How can I be more effective? You know, um, and my music, I was like, if you listen to my earlier catalog, I always kind of wrote from a perspective, the sadder, the better. And now I'm thinking like, if you want to convey an emotion, think about how that emotion can stick with someone instead of just like using as many adjectives as possible. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean, whether that means writing a sad song or a happy song. So just aiming to be clear and concise. Yeah. With the message. Feel that. <laughs> <laughs> so in a nutshell, what do you want people to know about you? Um I would say like despite being very independent um, I still need help. Uh, and I don't mean that as like a, oh Lord, please help me. Um, I mean it like in a way where it's like the people that have worked with me, uh, in all my pursuits, I'm really thankful for them. Like, yeah, I might have the ability to curate a podcast, manage a band as a solo artist, work a nine to five and write books like all by myself. But it doesn't mean that like, somewhere down the road I'm going to need a PR agent to help me expand myself. It doesn't mean that I I like writing all my song parts by myself. Like I like having bandmates and and people that work with me. So I'm always like thankful for the collaborators that have worked with me and producers that have taught me and and without those people I don't think I'd be better. You know, without you like you know being a mentor as well as a friend like motivates me to keep doing yoga. Like, I don't think I would have stuck with yoga, you know, uh, without knowing other poets, I don't think I'd still be writing poetry. Um, so like, I know sometimes on the surface it might look like, Oh, Brian can do it all. He's, he's like such an enterprising man. It's just like, I'm really trying to do my best to be the best version of myself so that I can inspire other people to also be the best version of themselves but it doesn't mean that I want to do it alone. Like I, I want to have people with me and I currently have people with me, but I'm always open for more, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Does. Yeah. And then I think the other thing I would want other people to know about me is, uh, I do get to sleep. I, I didn't always sleep. Uh, <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Cause, uh, I know I've definitely been on calls and network with people who are like, wow, how do you sleep? And uh, the, the answer is exercise, sometimes melatonin. It used to be a lot of melatonin and just setting boundaries for myself. Like I wake up every day with prayer and meditation. And then I, then I ask myself, like after brushing my teeth, what are we getting done today? What are your things you're going to do? What are your nice to haves and what are your stretches? things you're going to do is like your bottom lines like you have to get this done um you know your nice to haves are the things where it's like it's been kind of like going on in your head um you know like you have to do your laundry <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> but a nice to have might be like let me organize 
all the items that I don't need and sell. That That's something that, like, you're going to get rid of. We all have to Marie Kondo our life sometimes. But you don't always have to do that all at once. You can do that a, a little bit at a time. And then your stretches might be like, hmm, what's a hard goal that I've been trying to do that I've been kind of putting off? So uh, for me, I haven't practiced my banjo in a while. So maybe I need to get back to playing banjo again. Stuff like that. What other instruments do you play? So primarily I play the guitar, but I also play the bass, uh, harmonica, um, piano, synth, uh, ukulele, um, a little cajon, and banjo. Wow. I didn't realize you played that many. Yeah, yeah. Over all, over all the years uh, that you've known me, like when we first met, I only played the guitar and bass. But mm -hmm. uh, over the years, I've just like picked up different instruments for different songs and uh, learned these things. And I'm still learning. So, yeah. So you're self-taught with everything? For the most part, like uh, vocally right now, I'm working with a vocal coach, uh, Renee Dresner, and they've been such a joy and a dream. And, uh, you know, it's been helping me. She, she's been helping me a lot with like vocal control and things like that because uh, I've been dabbling in rap, but I also primarily sing. So just those vocal lessons have been really helpful in uh, making me an even better singer and thinking about how can I be more dynamic uh, within the, the music that I create. Wow. Yeah. It's impressive. So all the strained instruments, you pretty much picked it up and wow. Yeah. Um, and that's just been like a YouTube lessons, listening to records, um, reading books, things like that. So yeah. Do you have one favorite book that you've read that changed your life? A book that's really changed my life is The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papazan. Uh, the record, I mean the book, <laughs> my mind's on books and records. Uh, <laughs> the book really focuses on goal setting and being able to do the best out of every single task that you do. Uh, and what it really is about is like, how a lot of us multitask sometimes and that could really hurt us as opposed to help us and how a lot of times we have a lot to do but we never get it done because we're overwhelmed about getting things done so the book the one thing by keller and papazan is just like really transformative and it's for anyone of all levels whether you consider or are considered an expert or you're just trying to get your goals and dreams done so that's been a, a really good book um, in terms of a literature book, I read a lot of business books, to be honest with you, so it's been a while since I've read a literature book. Um, this is kind of a feelsy book, and I, and I just started it. It's um, All About Love by Bell Hooks. That seems like that's going to change my life, so we might have to come back on that, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, I know you read a lot, so... It's cool to know which books are your favorites. Yep. All right. Well, I think this has been an awesome podcast. You know, you and I have been friends since 2010. And like I've mentioned, you know, I've seen, actually both of us have seen each other from really dark low points in our lives. And, you know, 
from alcoholism to graduating college and just starting our careers, you know, we've always had each other's backs and always kept in touch and just encourage each other to keep going. And, you know, that means so much. So, you know, it's awesome being your friend. And I'm so glad that I could interview today and just help other people get to know you better because I know that you just have so much going on and just wanted people to really get to know the man behind dreams, not memes. <laughs> well, I, I'm extremely thankful because like, um, you are the first person that asked, like, what if we interviewed you? And I was just like, you know, I never thought about that. You know what I mean? Because, like, part of me feels like, oh, if you want to just Google me. But at the same time, this this felt a lot more human and relatable, um, for lack of a better word. And, and I'm thankful for the questions that you sent my way. And I'm thankful for our friendship. Uh, you, you've definitely been a person of many hats for me, from a mentor, a sister, a friend. Uh, someone I look up to, and, and I'm thankful for our friendship and, and our bond and just being able to to grow every day. So thank you for your time. Yes, thank you. All right, bye. Peace, peace. Hi, this is Brian from A Day Without Love. Thank you for listening to Dreams Not Memes. I just want you to remember, your dreams matter. If you'd like to support this podcast, email adaywithoutlove at gmail.com for donation information, or follow me for weekly episodes. Thank you for listening and joining my journey. Have a good day.